media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4 this morning. If there was a steak dinner involved, if you like steak, uh, and, and the winner got a nice, nice steak dinner, um, who do you think would be some of the greatest soul winners of the New Testament? That if you got the answer right, that you'd get this great steak dinner. So I want you to kind of lock in, you don't have to write it down, but lock in your mind, who are some of the greatest soul winners of the New Testament? And what do we mean a soul winner, in case you're not familiar with that term? Somebody who tells others about Christ, and then they learn to trust Christ, and they come to trust Christ as their Lord and the Savior of life. Uh, how many of y'all have locked in your mind Paul? Yeah, Paul is, I mean, he's just, I mean, missionary journeys all over the place. He helped start a lot of churches. And so, you know, I think he's the one that naturally comes to our mind. How many of y'all think Peter? Uh, had Peter in your mind. Yeah. Um, he was always went around preaching. He's preaching the word of God. The spirit of God is upon him. He's leading people to Christ. What about John? Did anybody come with John? John is one of those that really is kind of known sometimes as the evangelist. Uh, he, his love and that example of his love led many people to, to know Christ. Anybody think of like somebody like Philip? You know, he was one of those that went out and God directed him to go down and tell this Ethiopian eunuch about Christ. And so we see all those different people. How many of y'all came up with the woman at the well? Good. We do, we do have one back there. She is like one of the best evangelists uh, in the New Testament, believe it or not, because we see the spontaneous reaction in her life when she comes to the place of knowing Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so I don't know that a lot of people would have picked that or that a lot of people that just comes instantly in your mind. But today I want you to take confidence because as I said before, there's two subjects that when we preach about, three probably, including the one that Ben talked about, you know, prayer and witnessing are two of those spiritual disciplines that a lot of us go, hey, I know I should, but I just don't feel like I measure up. And we kind of think that we're a disappointment for God. Let me give you good news in that. You are not a disappointment of God because you're clothed in righteousness of Jesus Christ, okay? Part of this whole great exchange is that he took all of our sins and they were cast upon Christ. And he took all of his rightness, his righteousness, and he imputed that to us. And so if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian this morning, that's your standing before God. At the same time, these are disciplines in our life, prayer and witnessing, that we're commanded to do. And we really do want to do those in a way that show maturity and, and biblical depth. And just, you know, just that we have this relationship with God. And so it's intimidating, I know, and, and part of that intimidation is that we feel like we have to be a Paul or a Peter or a John or someone like that. What if you were like the woman at the well? Well, what's her story? Well, you can find the events of that in John chapter 4. Let me read just kind of the beginning of that. John chapter 4, starting with verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour, which is about 12 o'clock. Some people say that it might have been six o'clock in the evening. More than likely, it was 12 noon, hottest part of the day. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came in to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. There are so many different levels and so many things happening here, some of those that we're very aware of, and that if you are a student of the Bible, you probably have picked up or heard in sermons over the years. And there's even more intense things going on underneath that maybe don't come to immediate understanding. Uh, But all of that kind of comes together this morning. For example, one of those things that maybe just doesn't come instantly to your mind is if you went back to John chapter 3, we see this conversation that Christ has with this uh, very gifted man. He's a ruler of the Jews. His name is Nicodemus. Are you familiar with him? Have you heard about him? And then right after that, we have this encounter. After Nicodemus, this guy who's very much in the religious life, we have this lady who's completely out of religious life. And to say that those just happen to be stories that John decided to tell and match up by, you know, it just happened that way. No, this is Holy Spirit-led, guys. God wants us to see the contrast of these who thought they were very much included, very much part of the inside crowd, like Nicodemus, who was a man. He was a ruler of the Jews. His status and position was well, well founded in that society. And you could not contrast greater than what we begin to see in the woman that is the Samaritan. She's an outcast. Number one, she's a woman, not a man. And again, no offense, but just knowing the culture of that day, that would have been a part of the status of people in that community. She was a Samaritan, and they were looked down upon, as it says there in Scripture, that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and she was an outcast. In that picture that was up there before, you notice that she's coming to get water, and she comes by herself at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because the other ladies did not want her to be around, and she didn't want to be around the other ladies. Why? We'll find out later that she's got a kind of a, a, a very um, mischievous life when it comes to her sexual choices. And she's been with a lot of men. And maybe even with some of the, the husbands of some of those women that would come. Now, to understand really the complexity of that and, and some of those depths of that, understand that back in that time, as the ladies would come to get water, number one, it was a very laborious tax. Have you ever carried water? Have you ever put water in two five-pound buckets and then try to carry that water for a long period of time? It's, it's, water is very heavy when you're going from point A to point B. And yet the ladies would come, and even though it was a very laborious task, one of the things that made it a lot better to deal with is that they had the other ladies around. And so that was the gossip time. That was the chat time. That was kind of, my kids are doing this. Oh, your kids are too. You know, my husband did this. Yours too. And all of a sudden, this became a social part of their life. Before they went back to their individual homes, this was part of their social connections. This Samaritan woman completely left out of that. A daily reminder. I mean, you know how we have reminders that maybe we're a little bit of an outcast and it comes from time to time. Maybe you're not into sports, and all of a sudden somebody starts talking about college football or something, and you kind of feel like, okay, I don't even know who they're talking about. And for that moment, in that conversation, you feel like a little bit of an outcast. Or all of a sudden they're talking about Georgia, you know, uh, football or something like that, and somebody brings up Florida Gators, and you feel like an outcast because, you know, are the Clemson Tigers or something like that. And you just feel like, man, I'm not quite accepted in this group. Well, that may only come up like on Saturdays in the fall. Can you imagine every single day being reminded that you're an outcast? 
that you're different from everybody else. Not just different, but purposely pushed out of involvement in relationship with them. This lady had that every single day. And so as we begin to look at this, we begin to see um, that as they tell the story of Nicodemus, as they tell this story about this woman who's all by herself out there, that both of these, this religious elite and this outcast, have the same exact need. What do you think that need is? Just take a wild guess. Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, as extreme as their lives were, polar opposites, their need was the same. And that's what John so masterfully does in his gospel here. He tells us this story about the religious elite, this one that is a social outcast, and he brings them together in a way that the need is the same. Now, I chose this text this morning because with all the plans of building and the future uh, you know, worship center and all those things that will be coming years down the road, guys, the mission of the church never changes. We can change colors, we can change this, that, and the other. We can make some things that make it more comfortable or this, that, and the other. But the mission of the church never changes, and that is to share the hope of this beautiful gospel and this life of Jesus Christ with our community. That will never change, whether we're big or small, whether there's five of us that meet together or whether there's 500 that would meet together. The mission of the church never changes. And people in church, people are coming. They are coming. Rich people and poor people, young people and old people, white people and black people, conservative people and liberal people, this kind of people, that kind of people. Everybody, people are coming. Do you know that Jackson County is one of the fastest growing counties, not just in Georgia, but actually in the United States right now? And and you can look around and you can see that. And so... What is the common need as they come with all this diversity, and we are a church that appreciates and and really loves diversity. What is the common need? Jesus Christ. And so that's our hope. That's our mission. That's our call. That's part of the reason why John includes these two accounts together, I believe, to show that no matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, or what your position is in the world, whether you're in crowd or you're an outcast, no matter where you're coming from, that your need is Jesus Christ. And while we have a lot of great, great churches in this area, I hope that we're one of those. Um, and we need every one of the, the different churches of our community to cooperate together to take this good news of Christ to them. Uh, it's one of those things that the real answer isn't in pastors or just churches and buildings. The real answer of taking the gospel to neighbors, friends, students, family is you. And in one way, that's pretty intimidating because you're going, okay, this is not really my gift. Let, let me kind of dispel the whole gift thing just for a second. Um, in the Bible, we're commanded to tell others about Christ. There is a spiritual gift that some people have, and it just kind of comes uh, supernaturally to them, and they just have, a, if you want to say, a higher ability. But it's a call to every one of us as Christians. It's a command to every one of us. And so we can't say, well, you know, it's just not my gift. Uh, growing up on trash day, I had to take the trash out. And Dad had commanded me to do that. Can you imagine my dad's response? Because a lot of you had dads like that. If I said, Dad, it's not my gift. It's just not my gift. This whole trash detail thing, I just don't feel led. I don't feel gifted in that area. I don't do it very well. 
How long would that have lasted with my dad? I don't care if it's your gift or not. Get the trash out to the curb, you know? And in one way, guys, that's kind of this call for us to be sharing the hope of Christ with our neighbors and friends and family members. There are some that really are gifted. And God has especially gifted people to do that. But it's a call and a command to every believer in Jesus Christ. Let's get back to the text. Look at verse 5 through 7 again. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water and said to Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus surprises everyone, and especially the woman, by talking with her. Two rules that he broke that were just cultural rules. Number one, men did not talk to uh, women that were not their wives in public settings back in that culture. Secondly, Jews, as we saw, do not did not talk to Samaritans. So it's really taboo what he does here. It's really bold what Jesus Christ does here. And she is surprised by it. In fact, I, I wonder, we're not told, but I wonder if she kind of even hesitated as she saw Jesus up there near the well and uh, said, you know, I'll just wait till he's finished. But maybe as she's sitting there and he's not leaving, that she goes, I, I've got to get this done. I, I, we're not told that story, but I imagine there's a lot of things going through her mind. But one of those was not that she was going to have a personal encounter with this guy who's sitting up there. She doesn't know that he's the Christ, doesn't know that he's the Messiah. And yet she goes and he addresses her. The story goes on and Jesus begins to tell the woman about a living water where someone can drink of it and never thirst again. Now think about it. In a very practical sense, the, probably the first thing that came to her mind was, you mean I would not have to do this journey? I would not have to carry this heavy water? And I wouldn't have to have the daily reminder that I'm an outcast and I'm separated from every other woman in the community. So immediately he draws upon something that shows her need. But he was not talking about physical water. He was talking about spiritual water. You and I, we may understand that. She would come to understand that. But he met her at a place of great need in her life. And then she's interested and she begins to talk. They go back to work. They begin to, to, to uh, converse back and forth. And as they begin to talk about her desire for this water, Jesus surprises her again by telling her something about herself that she would have want nobody, especially a stranger, to know. Look at verses 15 and 18. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she's still thinking, okay, is there like you can just turn the water on and get that at your home? What a novel thought. I mean, she's still kind of thinking of the practical, and he's about to make way over to the spiritual. Look at verse 16. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Can you imagine all of a sudden, she's going, okay, give me this water. I really would not like to make this trip every day. I'd love not to be reminded daily that I'm an outcast. And now all of a sudden you turn the tables and, and you show me the, you know, kind of the shame of my life? Question for you this morning. Was Jesus' purpose in shaming her? Was Jesus' purpose loving her so that she could see what she needed really in her life? The spiritual condition and the need of her life. 
And so he makes her aware of that. I mean, you can only imagine this woman wants to run and crawl under a rock as, as he begins to unveil things about her life that she's not proud of. They begin to talk and they go back and forth. They talk about worship. They talk about the coming Messiah. And Jesus informs him that her that he is this Messiah. Look at verse 25 and 26. And I realize that we're skipping a lot and we are verse by verse people, but it's a long passage, verses 4 through 42, I think. And uh, I want to get to the end part of this story. But look at verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She has some knowledge that there's been this promise of God, and the Samaritans did worship one God, that there was a Messiah coming. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 26. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. So this is how you knew about me. Knew about my five past husbands, about how I'm not married to the the guy that I'm with now, and Okay, now I, we talked about worship. We talked about worship on this hill and what qualifies as worship. They've had all these discussions, and now he links, I am this Messiah. Now, I confess that it seemed like we just breezed through all that. But my purpose is to get to the end of this story. Anybody remember Paul Harvey? I just dated myself quite a bit by a couple of generations there. Uh, the rest of the story... We want to kind of get to the rest of the story, not because this other doesn't have theological and great implications and teaching points and, and, and real good knowledge for our lives, but I want you to get to the end of it because there comes a time when she really does kind of, I believe, place her trust in that Jesus is the Messiah. If you want to say that she got saved, she became a Christian, I believe that's what happened. I believe a conversion takes place. And look what John tells us about what happens to this woman, what she does after this encounter with Christ. Go down to verse 28. So the woman did what? Left her jar. Okay, what, what was the whole purpose of coming to the well to begin with? To get water. This was a function that needed. They did not have a faucet. They couldn't just turn it on and get water. The only way that you had water in your home is that you came, did this laborious task, over and over, day after day after day, you carry this water, then you carry it back home, and you have to repeat it again the next day. The whole purpose of her coming is to get water. After this encounter of Christ, she leaves the water jar, and it says, and went away into the town and said to the people. Now again, why is she coming at 12 noon instead of 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning? She doesn't want to be around people. She's an outcast. They don't want her to be a part of it. She does not want to be reminded that she's not loved and cared for by these people. Everything about the reason why she came, she just abandons. Because she learned Romans Rose, because she took some theology classes. She went to the Billy School, uh, Billy Graham School of Evangelism. No, because she had an encounter with Christ. When we have authentic encounters with Christ, guys, and especially when we place our trust and faith as God opens our eyes to reveal to us our sin and and the Savior, your life is forever changed. 
Her life is forever changed. She, she leaves the water jar. She goes back and she's actually talking to the people. And what does she say? Verse 29, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30, and they went out of town and they were coming to him. The Samaritan woman has an encounter with Christ and it changes her life. Again, I believe that she becomes a Christian at this point, that she has kind of a saving knowledge of this. And look what transpires afterwards. All of a sudden, what was important before is, is not now secondary in importance because this encounter with Christ, I'm going to use the word, this wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, with Christ overwhelms her. I searched all week, okay, what word do I use there? Because you won't, you're not going to find the word wonder in this text. You're not going to find it in the Greek. What happened to this woman? Have you ever heard about, like in kids' eyes, the wonder of Christmas? Have you ever seen that? I mean, you're three girls. The wonder of Christmas on Christmas Eve. It's that kind of wonder. It's not like, I wonder, are we having pizza today or hamburgers? Not that kind of question mark. More of that wonder of awe, overwhelming, not being able to take it all in. You know, that kind of wonder. Uh, speaking of college football, that's about to kick off if you're a big, like UGA fan. Have you ever been there game day, first day? Isn't, couldn't you describe that as a wonder? I mean, the band's playing, everything's happening, the teams come in. The wonder of it all. You're going, man, I could have watched this on TV and I would have got some of it. But now here in the midst of this stadium with, you know, 80, 90, 100,000 of my closest friends, the wonder of it all just overwhelms me. Can you identify with that? And this wonder has changed her life. She goes back and she begins to... In fact, I have to say that this wonder had impact on her life because what do they do in verse 30? They, they, they go out to see this guy. Do you think that they would have given two cents for anything that she would have said had there not been some authentic wonder in what happened to her? But they see something. They don't know what it is. I mean, she's even asking, can this be the Christ? What was the result of her sharing her wonder of Christ? Verse 30. And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Again, she didn't go take some theology courses. She didn't take... Um, you know, CWT and faith training, learn the Romans road. I'm not against any of those whatsoever, guys. Not against those. We need to put the word of God in our heart and mind so that we can answer questions as we would share our faith. So I, I'm, I'm big on that. But I also think that we live in a day and time that people are very skeptical of anything that's rehearsed. I think that authenticity and wonder are, are more valuable than a routine. Sometimes we can become so familiar with that routine, even if it's good, solid scripture, that, that we're not far off of a car salesman or we're not far off of somebody trying to sell you a timeshare. Anybody ever take the, the free dinner or the free what hotel and say, well, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy, I'll just go get the free stuff. And you get in there and they're so good at what they do. And yet it just feels like it's kind of slick. Could we ever do that with Christ? Just make it a slick thing. Unfortunately, yes, if we're not careful. Because nothing will ever replace the wonder 
of what Christ does when he truly comes into our lives and changes our lives. You can't hide that on your face. The true wonder of a life change. When you are lost and you're found, that's a wonderment. When you are dead and now you're alive, Ephesians says, that's wonderment. And that's what we need to share the world, guys. That's wonderment. Again, I'm not against presentations. I I know them all. I I can go through every one of them. And they're useful. But I promise you, authentic joy, authentic transformation, authentic conversion, authentic wonderment of the things of God are going to be the best opportunity for us to share the authenticity of how the gospel changes lives. And I pray that this morning, that if you haven't had an that you have had an encounter with Christ, that your life is now filled with wonder. Two aspects of this sermon, two challenges. One is, do you have wonder in your life? Not religion. Not, oh, I go to this church. Do you have the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of the majesty of Christ, that God so loved the world, that he gave you Christ? And you went from death to life? You went from lost to found? Do you have that wonder? That's a really, really personal question. And it's probably one of the most important questions, if not the most uh, purposeful and intentional question that I could ever ask you. And if you have that in your life, are you sharing it? Are you taking that wonder, that joy, and sharing it with those around you? I say share that. I encourage you, share that. There will be a time to get deep in, to deepen your knowledge in discipleship. I'm all about discipleship. I think the best discipled people are the best evangelists. I just think that being a witness of the, the great things of Christ comes when we know the word of God and we get deeper and more mature in Christ. I think that we just become better witnesses of Christ after that. But not to replace this authenticity and this wonder of all the things that God would do in our lives. You see, folks, it was never your calling or God's command for you to save people, but just to witness to people. It's not on your shoulders if somebody says yes or no to Christ. It's not on your shoulders. What does he call us to be? Did he go go out and save people? You and I couldn't save anybody. We couldn't save ourselves. Only Christ can do that in his finished work. And so what are we to witness what God has done in our lives? Look what happened when this outcast woman simply did that. Verse 39. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked for him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. So she had an encounter. She goes back. They come out. They see him. Jesus stays there two days answering questions, talking with them. And look what it says in verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. Because she was an expert. Because she had, you know, her, her Romans road down and she had this slick president. No. The wonderment of what happened to her and her sharing that wonderment made them Wonder in the other sense of wonder. What in the world has this woman encountered? 
They go out to see them. Jesus spends two days. They're asking questions. They're coming back. And then it says in verse 41, and many more believed of his, believed of his word. Now look at verse 42 and we're going to conclude. This is so cool. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know indeed that this is the Savior of the world. Is this not the hope that we have, guys? That somehow, isn't this the call of the church? God's command for us to go and just share the wonderment of Christ and what has happened in our lives? And so two questions this morning. Number one, do you have a wonder of Christ? Do you have that wonder like, like a kid on Christmas Eve anticipating Christmas morning and that sparkle? And that joy and that anticipation. Do you have that wonderment over what God has done in your life? When he's taking you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Where you were lost and could not save yourself. And he found you and saved you. Took you from being an orphan of the living God to a child of the living God. Number one, that's the question. Do you have that wonderment? Number two, are you sharing that wonderment? Again, please, we'll give you scriptures. We'll give you things as people ask questions. We want to back it up with scripture. But I, I can tell you that very few things, at least in the initial part, are going to really kind of register with other people than the true wonderment of your life when they see transformation in your life. This is our call, church, to share the wonder of Christ. And watch God draw men and women to him. We can paint buildings. We can build new buildings. We can do this, that, and the other. And, and those are good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not a call. All that has to have the end purpose of sharing the good news of Christ with others around us. And them seeing our transformed lives and then us discipling them so that they can grow and tell others about Christ. That's, that's our call. And so my challenge to you this morning, church, share the wonder of Christ. Ask yourself, is is that wonderment there? Am I just a religious person or I truly am seeing transformation in my mind and heart? Do I just kind of attend a church or even am I a member of church? Or am I a member of the, the very family of God because of this finished work of Christ? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Father, I thank you for this woman that we would probably say, uh, was probably low, low, low on our list of great evangelists. And yet, Father, this morning, as we begin to see what you did through her, genuine transformation, Father. And she just goes out and simply tells people. And they come and they see you and they have conversation with your son. And, Father, they begin to believe. And they make that proclamation in their life. Truly, this is the Messiah, the Christ. Father, may we go out to our workplaces, to our schools, to our neighbors, to our family, our friends. That, Father, with the wonder of Christ in our hearts, that we would just share this joy. And, Father, that through conversation and, Father, through just spending time with people in relationship, that more and more and more, Father, you would use that to draw men to you. Father, we were lost And you saved us. We were dead. 
and you brought us to life. All because of your grace. No works. We couldn't even work, Father. Father, honestly, we're a lot more like the Samaritan woman than we are Nicodemus, this religious elite. And yet, Father, you called her into your kingdom because you're amazing grace. Father, let us make much of that as we understand that, as we, Father, just live that out in our lives. We love you and we thank you as we pray this in the hope of the one that made it possible, Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.